This is First Person, a Cohiso Media podcast. Journalist and author Marianne Tam discovers what's really going on behind some very everyday-looking front doors. For more information and to subscribe for free, go to firstpersonpod.com. Should I go? Ordinary. 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 People. 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 Ordinary people. I felt an anger come from deep down. And I remember saying to my attorney, no ways. they got to finish what they started. Extraordinary. 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 Extraordinary lives. I remember saying, no, no, not me. I don't know anything about this stuff. I can't do this. First. 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 Person. First. Person. First person. First person. First person. All you have to do is open the door and hold it open. That's why I leave the door open. I've it literally and bolted them. I noticed. There's no doors being left open in my world. <laughs> this time, Monica Cromhart. They had bulletproof vests and guns and big lamps on their heads and big boots. And it was so wrong in that space. So I whispered to them, this is a sacred space. You need to treat it with reverence. And they turned around like one man and tiptoed out of the room. In the early hours of a December morning in 2014, an elderly gentleman stumbled into a police station in Somerset West, a suburb 40 kilometers outside Cape Town. He wasn't making much sense. There was this woman, he said and rituals, strange music, group sex, yes, in a house just up the road in this very ordinary neighbourhood. You're early! Uh, are we? We can come back! No, it's fine. What are you doing? <laughs> well, if you had come five minutes earlier, I would have been in the shower. Oh, okay. The gentleman was particularly upset with the 69-year-old house owner, Monica Krumhurt, who he said was at the centre of it all, some witch dishing out illegal substances. She must be arrested at once. So eight armed police officers turned up on Monica's doorstep at three o'clock in the morning. And I said, come with me down to the passage, we'll sit in my office. Which is where we're sitting now? Where we're sitting now. And is this where they found your stash? No, that's in my bedroom. So she wasn't denying it? Wasn't denying it at all? Two of them stayed here, and the, the rest of them searched the house. Uh, for evidence and came I have a small deep freeze in my bedroom and they found what I had there which I had no idea how much I had at that stage I had a lot um, yeah I'm quite a biblical person uh, but even though I left all of that long ago I studied the Bible so hard in my youth that little examples pop up all the time that seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine and that and I thought we're going into a famine time and so I need to stock up while there's plenty. And the growers were giving up all the time. They were being arrested and frightened and giving up altogether. And I thought the time is going to come when we're not going to have be able to get mushrooms of good quality. I'm going to buy up whatever I can. And I had over two kilograms, which is a lot, because it, it weighs like feathers. Yes, mushrooms. This is all about mushrooms. Did they know what they were looking for as well? Because it no. looks, looks like a little bit like a delicate, you know, something you'd buy at a delicatessen. Yes, yes, it is, yeah. Because that's how it's you used to travel with it. You used yes. to travel with it in a, in a Tupperware yes. and go yes. through the SAA yes. things as, yes. a, as a... Put it right on top of my bag. Yeah, and they'd say, they uh, think it's your, it's your, uh, your banting stuff yes. that you're going to nibble on, <laughs> yes. on the plane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody ever said anything? <clears throat> Never. If you're picturing the den of vice and lewd behaviour that the man who turned out to be a 77-year-old retired professor and who is now very, very sorry was talking about, then you'll be disappointed. 
call an ambulance. Shall we go to the back first or follow the pattern of the night? The pattern of the night, okay. I think. So we go down a passageway, which is lined with books and uh, a beautiful, uh, what is this, cloth with, uh, I suppose, a tree of life. Well, it's a mushroom, actually. A mushroom, of course. <laughs> How can I not see that? I need mushrooms to see the mushroom. And, there's a and while this is about psychedelia and mushrooms, it's also about a journey, a mushroom journey. Your leader, Monica, their biggest fan. Mushrooms are the most amazing form of life on the earth. These are psilocybin mushrooms, which are a strain of ordinary mushrooms. And um, you've got medicinal mushrooms that can heal so many different kinds of illnesses that are not psilocybin mushrooms. They will not take you on a trip, but they will fix something very effectively. And they're used in tribal contexts and ancient um, ways of doing medicine. And so then you get the ordinary food mushrooms, which are highly nutritious, so they feed us. And then you get those that teach us. And the ones that teach us are also highly nutritious, but in a particular way that uh, takes us to a wider, broader understanding that goes beyond our physical senses. There's a whole dimension, a whole universe out there that does not connect with our physical senses but to our spirit senses and in order to see that you have to shut off the physical senses because through evolution we have learned to protect our physical selves by using our physical sense if you have a lion is after you you don't want to tune into your spiritual senses at that moment I know what you're thinking Hipsters with beards and tattoos and women in kikoys with no hair products. Trance dancers, now they know about shrooms. But a grandmother? Not so much. How the hell did this happen then? Well, it began with the death of Monica's husband in 2005. I was in a very deep state of grief. Uh, to the point that I actually didn't want to live anymore. I wasn't suicidal, but I was waiting to die. I felt that I couldn't... There was no point in living without my husband. So all I had to do is patiently wait and the time would come soon. I was quite sure it would be soon. And then um, my son gave me a book by Graham Hancock. It was a book about cave paintings. And oh, there was one section about ayahuasca. And I, I don't know how that happened, but I knew instantly that this was for me. In spite of never being, having had alcohol and all that kind of thing, I knew that that was for me. What is ayahuasca? <clears throat> oh, you don't know ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is an Amazonian mixture of plants that is cooked up, uh, usually in the jungle, a mixture of certain plants that is also takes you into a trance. Something in me just got excited. And I thought, you know, I don't know how I'm going to find out about this. I'm going to have to go to Brazil and ask where the jungle is and ask to be directed to a shaman. So I can see I was absolutely determined. Now I'm saving my money so I can go to Brazil. But I couldn't tell anyone because everyone who knew me would not think that I would think like that. You can see her point. As luck would have it, Monica didn't need to trek into the rainforest. In early 2008, someone handily arranged to bring a bona fide shaman to the Cedarburg Mountains to do several ayahuasca ceremonies. So despite 40 degrees of heat and the fact that she was dealing with excruciating pain from arthritis, she packed her tent. But things didn't go as planned. 
after three nights of drinking ayahuasca, nothing. I really felt I'm doing something wrong here. I'm not having the experience that everyone else is having. And all the time I was in this terrible pain, um, and you're not allowed any painkillers when you do anything, no other chemicals. So the shaman agreed to talk with me, not that he could speak English, but there was a translator. It was a very interesting conversation because I said, um, I'll give anything to have this experience, but it's not happening for me. What's wrong? What am I doing wrong? And he replied through the translator always, I have been watching you. You are fully in the vibration of ayahuasca, but ayahuasca is protecting you from your fear. And I knew that was true. I was afraid. It was my first time with anything. I would have been scared to drink a glass of wine, let alone that. So I said to him, but I'm not afraid anymore. Now I understand. What can I do to be sure that I have an experience tonight? And he said, stop asking me all these questions. Ask the plant. So come that night, I was so, it was like my last chance. I can't explain the feeling that if it doesn't work tonight, then I've got to die tomorrow because I, otherwise there's nothing to live for. And soon after I drank the ayahuasca, the pain came down on me like never before. Every joint felt like it was on fire. And then in the midst of that distress, and the, by then the place, the, the boma that we were in was packed full, shoulder to shoulder with people all around, crowded, under the stars, lovely. I remembered he said, ask the plant. So I was like a little girl talking to Jesus, which I did lots when I was a little girl. And I said, please help me. I want to experience whatever you've got to give me. Please help me. And I immediately got a response, take off your shoes. Now we had a rule not to take our shoes off because there's so many scorpions there. So I just took my shoes off. Then the voice said, get up and leave the group. Now the only other rule was that you may not leave the group. So I took off my shoes and I left the group. Nobody stopped me. I struggled. Every footstep was a pain. And I was told to walk up the mountain in the deep sand. So I trudged with my crutch up this mountain in the most unbelievable pain, but knowing that I had been told to do that. And then there was a little flat space. It was quite solid and had lots of little sharp stones on it. And I landed on these stones and it was so sore under my feet. I felt like my feet were being cut by razor blades. And I felt this pressure on my chest. I was going to walk over it and continue. And this pressure, like a hand on my chest, stopped me there and made me walk back and forth on these stones. It was terribly painful. And then after, I don't know how long, maybe two minutes, when I thought, I can't bear this anymore, it pushed me backwards, back onto the hot sand. And the feeling of the hot sand under my feet after that pain was so beautiful. And from that, it was like a rising tide like water rising, warm water rising up through my body. Below there was no pain and above was full of pain. And it went up and up through every joint, even my muscles and tendons, everything felt like it was on fire. And then out through the top of my head and up into the sky. And I was totally pain free. And I never have had pain since then. 
And then I went into my first ayahuasca experience, the first time I ever had a trance of any kind. I was pulled up beyond the Milky Way. I was looking down on the solar system and the Milky Way, that whole system. And I was given a few hours of intense astrology teaching. And then I came very gently down to Earth again and I then asked the heavens, so now, what was that all about? And this, um, uh, this streamer came across the sky, so I thought I was conscious and fully normal, but clearly I wasn't because I saw, or maybe the streamer did come, I don't know. There was like a big ribbon unfolding and written on the ribbon was two, twice. The first one said, all knowledge, and repeated, all knowledge is fixed in the stars. And it was incredibly profound, it still is. So then the next ribbon unfolded and it said, all knowledge, all knowledge is fixed in you. Because we are made of stardust. But then when did you come to the decision that you are now going to go back to your home here in Somerset West, in the suburbs, and find mushrooms? Well, I never decided that. Oh. The declaration to the world, we're having a ceremony. And then now, you're, you're, your neighbours know about know. this? It's all been so much in the media that they all know now. That Have any of them asked to come? No, I would love for them to come, but I, and I don't really ask people. I hear them next door at the pool. Yes, yeah, they the children kids. Yeah. The, children. the children know about the mushroom lady next door. I don't know, I wonder. They might have lovely memories when they get older. <laughs> They'll write about it. So yes, this then I, I turned 64 them. in October that year. And suddenly I got this idea, I'm going to have a huge birthday party. And I'm going to make that song when I'm 64, the theme. Everyone I know is invited. I'm not going to send one invitation. If you know me, you are invited, so don't come crying afterwards. I put that up on Facebook. It's still there on Facebook. Please come. And please don't bring gifts. I've got too much clutter already. Uh, just bring food. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? What a big night that was. Apart from the 300 people who arrived and the cars that filled the whole neighborhood and the raucous noise and the mountains of food, one woman came from Oturin with a tiny little gift like this wrapped up with a bow. And I said, you're not supposed to give gifts. So she said, it's not a gift, it's food. Keep it safe. So I put it in my bag and I forgot all about it. She actually had to phone me and remind me. And it was mushrooms. Whole, little, whole, cute little mushrooms. So I did, did a bit of research on how to use these mushrooms and I set aside a night soon after that and I made a little place in my back garden because mushrooms like being outdoors uh, is what I read. And I had some music on an iPod, a blanket and I ate all the mushrooms. By yourself? By myself, all by myself. I must have been mad. I had no idea. Later she said, but Monica, that was for three experiences. I had the most incredible night. I mean, just an amazing night. I remember often thinking, please don't send me back. I want to stay here forever. And it was wave after wave of incredibly wonderful things. And then I remember hearing the birds singing in the trees around me. So I knew morning must be coming. 
and I opened my eyes and oh, it was coming to an end and I couldn't bear that. And it was right at that moment that I heard the voice of mushrooms. I didn't know even that mushrooms had a voice. And I know that I'm very grounded, I'm very practical and sensible and reliable. Uh, I'm not a mad woman. And, but this voice said, your home must become a school for mushrooms. And that was a joke. And what's that? And so um, I remember saying something like, no, no, not me. I, I don't know anything about this stuff. This is all new to me. I can't do this. So then the most amazing thing was said. You don't need to know anything. All you have to do is open the door and hold it open. That's why I leave the door open. And it literally both opens and bolted them. And bolted them. Okay, I noticed. There's no doors being left yes. open in my okay. world. Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised that these tents have survived the well, rain they, and, the, they, and the wind. They, they the don't always. I've gone through quite a few tents. Oh, have you? I'm now trying to work out another cool. system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get some other system that I can have for people to sleep in. So here's a whole little thing. I mean, you know, it's like there's like a you've got a lead in here, and there's mattresses and there's electricity. And sure. And um, the trouble with this tent, which is such a nice one, is the zip is broken. Oh. And to get the zip fixed is beyond. I've got to take the tent down. Uh, I didn't really know what that meant at all. And a day or two later, a computer guy came to fix my computer, and I'm dying to get someone to come and do the same thing with me. I've in the meantime spoken to my friend in Oatsra and she's arranged for me to get some more mushrooms. So I said to this poor guy, I said, do you know mushrooms? Have you ever used mushrooms? <laughs> was it like a Dalai nerd who'd arrived? Like yes, just somebody some... came to fix my computer. I knew him quite well, but oh, uh, okay, I didn't know okay. him very well. But yes, he, yes. You know, he, he, um, I said, have you ever used mushrooms? I mean, would you be interested in that? Yeah, he said, I would be interested. So a few nights later... He and I, I bring the mushrooms and he, oh, then I had an instruction from mushrooms. If I work with mushrooms, I must always serve chocolate with the mushrooms. So I said to him, you, you bring the chocolate, I'll bring the mushrooms. And he and I met in the garden again. He had one end of the garden, me at the other end of the garden. He bought his iPod, I had my iPod, and we had a really beautiful night. Neither of us knew how the other was doing, but in the morning we met and he said it was amazing, wonderful. And so then a couple of other people I came across, I said, you know, um, would you like to do mushrooms w with me? Um, and uh, so then I had like three people. And by the time it was three people plus me, that's four people, I thought, you know what, I can do this. I had no idea it was going to spread like wildfire. Six weeks later, 18 people wanted to come. And all word of mouth? All word. I've never advertised. I mean, I hardly would I advertise. It was, even from the beginning, it's been word of mouth. Now there's about 2,000 people on the mailing list. Okay. Let me show you a very historic place where this mat, this ground sheet is. That's where I lay the very first time. <laughs> there's not much of a, much of a spot. <laughs> no, but that's <laughs> it. That's where I lay when I had the first experience. Under this tree. I sometimes think I should make it a little kind of pretty or something. Yeah, no, it's, it's lovely there. I mean, you've got lots of mats lying around. And now there are yes. two chairs here. So this yes. is for anybody who wants to... Uh... Yeah. Well, remember, Monica was arrested. We'll get back to that. So stay with me here. She's out on bail, and one of the conditions is that she doesn't hold mushroom journeys until the case is heard. But I asked her to recreate one, sort of the beginning of it, so we can just get the idea. 
So what happens is we we sit in the uh, what do you call the ceremony room? The ceremony room, mm. and then you explain to eat all of us what we're yes. here for. Yes, um, and how the night will go. There's a sort of a structure to it. It can change if necessary, but a sort of a structure. Welcome everyone. Here we are again, about to start another experience with Soma tonight and. Those of you who have come tonight are just the right group. We will never be this group again, so the experience we're going to have is a completely new experience and unique to each of us. We have to weigh up individually. Everyone has a different amount. We recommend that people who are starting out for the first time uh, have five grams. Because it's quite a lot. It is a lot. Because when people come for the first time, they're a bit anxious, as of naturally, and uh, and full of thoughts and ideas and expectations. All of those things become an obstacle that mushrooms have to work through before they can actually get to what they have for you. And the five grams seems to be just enough to take you past all of that. Come to this experience with no expectations, uh, no judgments, and uh, if you are anxious or afraid, which I'm sure some of you are, Allow that to just fade away. Relax into the music that you'll hear and allow whatever comes to you, no matter how strange or how different from anything you've ever experienced. Our role as watchers is to keep people feeling uh, safe. Because if they don't feel safe, they can't let go to go into that other space. And they hold on to their minds and their fear and their expectations. So we do everything we can possibly think of to know that they're completely safe to just lose themselves. So we really ask you to hold the silence. If you want to laugh, pull the laughter inside you. Let that laughter go through your veins, through your heart, through your mind. It's a medicine that's been given to you that has uh, come to fix you. You're going to be there all night, so it doesn't matter how long anything takes. Because you're going to go home after breakfast. And you wake up in the middle of the night and eat, or in the if morning, early morning hours? If you want. Well, it varies. We don't even have a clock. We have no idea what the time is. The mushrooms work in waves, so that it becomes very deep and it takes you somewhere and then it eases up and then goes somewhere else. And then you reach a phase where there's a sort of a restlessness that comes. You can actually feel it come into the room. And people start to twitch and sit up and look around and go get up and go to the toilet, that sort of thing. And then we know it's time to get the soup ready. So why do you think people do this? What do they want? One of the deepest experiences that you can have in mushrooms is the experience of a death and a knowing that you are dying and uh, to be able to allow yourself to go into that death because it's a sign that something in you is actually being reborn. Nobody has died from mushrooms, so you're not going to physically die, but uh, it feels as though you are dying because something is dying and it needs to go. So that is a great blessing when that happens. There's also the alternate experience, which is an experience of bliss, uh, which can go on for hours and hours of becoming aware how you're one with everything and a feeling that we're all one being, one organism in this room. It's an amazing feeling. Other people have visits from 
maybe someone they loved who's died. I remember doing something with my brother. He came for a journey and we did it alone, just him and me in that corner over there. And I just sat next to him and he was very silent the whole night. He didn't move. He had a very bad heart. So it took a lot of courage for me to give the mushrooms to my brother. Hours into the journey, I felt my mother's, our mother's presence. It was overwhelming. She filled the whole room. And I, I, tears started running down my cheeks because I felt our mother there. And Trevor, my brother, kept his eyes closed, but he spoke only once during the night, and it was then. And he said, Monica, Mom is here. I'm so sorry to burst the bubble, but remember the eight armed cops in the early morning raid? We left them searching the house, and once they'd found the stash, they needed to know how much Monica had. They didn't have a scale, so that we drove around. They were looking for a bakery that was open, uh, because the bakeries weigh their flour. And I was sitting on the floor in the back of the police van. Then we arrived at the Shell Garage up the road here, and there was this bakery at the back of the spa shop. And I've been in that, it was so normal. And here I'm in the, accompanied by police walking through the spa shop. In the early hours of the morning, the lights are on and it's bright and there are a couple of customers there. And we go into the back and there's this great big thing making bread, lovely smell of bread dough. And everything is covered in flour and they've got this dilapidated old scale. So they hauled out everything that they had stolen from me and started weighing it bit by bit and they wanted me to sign off and I wasn't allowed to bring my glasses so I couldn't see and I kept saying I can't see what I'm signing what am I signing and I said I'd sign I put a little cross next to each one signature I said that little cross means I don't know what the hell I'm signing I'm being forced to sign it Monica was taken to the station and thrown into a cold bear cell with one other woman who was into mandrakes At first she was freezing and terrified, but the mushrooms she'd taken that night seemed to come to her rescue. I heard thunder rumbling in the distance. Now when Soma, the spirit of mushrooms, is going to tell me something important, I hear thunder rolling in the distance, and it comes closer and closer and closer until it's in my head, and then Soma speaks. And so I heard that, and I'm now beautifully warm, and uh, Soma said, Stand back. See that I am God. And then a second time. Stand back. See that I am God. And then there was this explosion out of my solar plexus. Like um, the the whole room full of fountains and sparkles. And I look up and I see there's a little window up at the top. It's a really thick wall with three different kinds of bars. And I saw that, and when I came in, I counted how many barred doors there were between me and the outside, and was five, five doors. And I suddenly saw the humor in it, that they thought that these thick walls and bars and barred doors and stuff were going to imprison my spirit, and I couldn't stop laughing. And the more I laughed, the more I laughed. And the more I thought about it, the funnier it got that they actually believed that this would make a difference for me. And the laughing filled me, did something to my hormones. I felt 
fabulous. When my, my soulmate was lying there, eyes wide, the first thing she said to me when I walked in was, what you in for? And I said, mushrooms. And she said, ah, oh, with mushrooms you touch God. So my attorney, I don't have an attorney by that time, he came and he said, Monica, you'll never believe what's happened. They've lost your file. The prosecutor says, forget about it, it's all over. Go home. I felt an anger come from deep down up into me. And I remember saying to my attorney, no ways. They've got to finish what they started. They must open a new file. And they opened a new file. And then when this new file was opened, we were all in court at that stage, my attorney said these words. I just felt so great when he said it. He said, my client has requested to take this matter to the High Court. And I stood there. <laughs> yes? I'm taking control of the I'm law. I'm taking control. And I felt this, I am control. And you know now, my attorney explained to me, I am summonsing the government to account for the law. Isn't that amazing? Yay! <laughs> High five! I love it. I absolutely love that. As luck would have it, the day I went to talk to Monica, Cape Town's billboard proclaimed magic mushrooms treat depression. She, together with a couple who were arrested for marijuana consumption, are determined to fight what seems to them to be a totally unjust law the abolition of which, she thinks, could make this country a better place. The problem in our country, probably in the world, but this is South Africa, is actually attitudes. If we can heal and fix attitudes, then behaviours change. And there's nothing better for uh, repairing and renewing attitudes than mushrooms. We wouldn't be what we are now if the caveman didn't see other dimensions and evolved in that direction. It's been there for all of time. Mushrooms have been part of human evolution. I'd and like to see packets of mushroom soup yes. um, available. Instant <laughs> yeah. mushroom soup every day. Well, that's a good practical Isn't a good, good, good practical thing? Or otherwise, there's, there's your, your forest. First Person is a Kahiso Media podcast. For more information and to subscribe for free, go to firstpersonpod.com or find us on iTunes. If you'd like to advertise around the podcast, then email firstperson at krahisomedia.co.za.